Welcome to Outreach Church. Thanks for checking out this week's message. To hear more, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or visit outreachchurch.net for downloads and service information. The way that you see God determines a lot of times the way that you read Scripture and the way you hear Scripture. You know, there's a verse that says, What is man that you are mindful of him? And there was a time in my life where I thought that that was talking about, like, how could you care about mankind? What is man that you would care about him? But as I've come to know his love and as I've come to understand who he says that I am and who he says that, who he's called me to be, I understand that David wasn't asking a question saying, you know, what is man? Like, who, who, why would you care about man? It was David getting a revelation of who we are in God's eyes and saying, what must man be that you are mindful of him, that you, God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, what is man that you, God, have set your eyes upon him and set your affection upon him? What must we be? And that's the thing that as we understand that, we begin to realize who we are in God's eyes. It changes the way we feel about ourselves even. Because you begin to understand there must be something about me that God thinks is pretty amazing because He sent His Son to die for me. There must be something about me that God loves to watch because He says His eyes are constantly upon me, yet He can't look upon sin. So there must be something more than just a sinful old person that He sees when He sees me. There must be a righteous and holy being that He sees becoming the son, becoming the daughter that you were created to be, that you were destined to be, that you were born to be. There must be something beautiful. His eyes are upon you not because He's looking and probing for sin. His eyes are upon you because He loves you. He thinks you're beautiful. Not because He's waiting to see what you do wrong. It's because He's always seen what, who you are and what's right about you. That's why His eyes are upon you. Don't ever, the, you know, the, the fact that God sees everything used to be scary until you understand how much He loves you and then you understand there's nothing else you'd rather in this world than to have a Father like Him that loves at all time unconditionally, that sees you everywhere you go, that there's nowhere that you go that His eyes aren't upon you, that there's no situation you ever find yourself in that He's unaware of, that there's, no, there's nothing that comes along that catches Him by surprise and His eyes are upon you all the time. God, what must we be? that you be mindful of us. Just, just think about that. Who must you be that the, that the Creator of the heavens and the earth is mindful of you? What does that make you? What does He see? I promise He sees way more than we do. If we could learn to see ourselves the way He sees us, if we could begin to think the way He thinks, if we could be able to see the way He sees, it would change the way that we live our lives. If we could begin to understand who we are and all that's right about us and what God's done and the, the enormity of being born again and being a new creation in Christ and being transformed. And then we read verses like that and we'd think with David, yeah, oh, what must man be, God, that you're mindful of him? We must be pretty special to you. It must be pretty precious to you. There must be something of worth, something of value, something of beauty because you can't take your eyes off of us. And that's the love that He has for you. And I think that as much as we profess our love for God, we should probably, every time we talk about how much we love God, talk twice about how much He loves us. Because our love for Him will only take us so far. It's understanding His great love for us that takes us farther. And we talked about that a long time ago with Peter and John. Peter was the one that said, I love you. I'll never leave you. I'll never let something happen to you. I love you. I love you. I love you. Constantly telling God how much He loves Him. And yet when, when it came time for Jesus to be taken away and taken to the cross, Peter was nowhere to be found. He scattered and denied that he even knew who Jesus was three times. But then there's John, who always called himself the disciple Jesus loved. He had a revelation of how much Jesus loved him. Every one of the disciples could have wrote that. You could write that. I could write that. Then Roy, the disciple whom Jesus loved. Then Merle, the disciple whom Jesus loved. Every one of us could start our sentences by writing out that we are the disciple that Jesus loves because it's true. He loves each and every one of us. But John was the only one that wrote that. John was the only one who had the revelation to that level that actually in his writings he proclaimed that he was the one that Jesus loved. And when Jesus was hanging, dying on a cross, there was only one disciple there. And it wasn't the one who professed over and over how much he loved Jesus and how he'd never leave him. It was the one who understood how much Jesus loved him. Knowing God's love for you will carry you so much farther than your love for him will. Because you're not perfect, but he is. And he loves perfectly. 
And so there may be a gap, there may be a stop, there may be an ebb and a flow in your relationship with Him. And sometimes you feel closer and sometimes you feel farther away. Those are just feelings. They're not true. Because when he, before He formed you in the womb, He knew you and He loved you and He called you by name. And He's never taken His eyes off you and He's never stopped loving you. And those things that you do that you wish you didn't, stop doing them. Because you're hurting yourself. But you're not hurting Him. He was hurt for you 2,000 years ago because of His great love for you. Now He hurts for you when He sees you doing those things. He's not hurt by you because He's not offended by you because He's not in it for Himself. He's in it for you because He loves you. And love does not seek after its own. And He is love. So stop doing those things. Because you're hurting yourself. You're hurting people around you when you cover yourself up with those things, when you, when you continually live that way and it causes you to live in that cycle of guilt and shame and depression and grief and embarrassment and all the things that sin brings along with it, right? Then we want to hide ourselves. It's the same thing that Adam and Eve did. They wanted to hide themselves. We do the same thing. We want to hide ourselves. And so we disconnect and disengage from people around us instead of staying in their lives and staying engaged and loving them and speaking truth to them and being there for them. And it hurts us and it hurts people around us. So just stop doing that stuff. That way you don't have to live in that cycle of sin, guilt, shame because you never know who's else who else's life you're affecting by the way that you're living you're a parent a husband a wife a brother a sister a friend an uncle a niece nephew you're something to somebody your life matters if it didn't matter christ wouldn't have given his life to redeem it he has never traded something of great price for something of nothing It was obviously worth something great because he paid something great for it. Don't let your life be hidden because you keep making the same mistake over and over again. (laughs) Allow your life to be changed by the love of God so that you can actually live above that and you don't have to be on the roller coaster. Then you can worship in the middle of anything because it doesn't matter. Right? Because that's not where your joy comes from. We talked last week about pruning and we're going to get into some of that again. Um... This week, because we're going to talk about the second part of that verse that Jesus said, but we talked last week about pruning and how sometimes pruning has been made to be this, this scary, painful thing. But the truth of the matter is, is that pruning was never intended to steal any of your joy. If what's being pruned out of your life by God is taking your joy, it's because you found joy in something other than Him. Because the joy of the Lord is your strength. And He said He never wants to leave you. He'll never forsake you. He won't leave you as orphans. He never intends to leave you there with no strength, no ability to live, no ability to walk the life that He called you to walk out. He's never intended to do that. And if the joy of the Lord is your strength, then the pruning that He does on you is to remove things from you that are hindering you from even more joy in your life. It's not to take the joy that you have unless you found it in something else. And that's when it becomes painful because we want to hold on to the things that he wants to take. We talked about that last week where Jesus used that word. He said, every branch in me, this is in John 15, the beginning of the, of the chapter, and we're just going to go through like the first five verses, six verses today. But it says, he said, I am the vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Why would he say you are already clean right after talking about pruning? Well, because in the original Greek language, the words that he used there for clean and prune come from the same root word. And they both mean to purge, to cleanse, to remove. So what Jesus was saying is is that if you abide in him, you'll be cleansed. If you're bearing fruit, you'll be cleansed so that you can bear more fruit. In other words, the things in your life that are hindering more fruit from being produced in your life, God will cleanse, God will strip away, God will take. And it doesn't have to be a painful process. It doesn't have to be one of those things where we walk around depressed looking like somebody's beating us with a stick lately and say, well, you know, I'm just in a pruning season right now and it's, it's just so hard. For real, God taking away the things in your life that are keeping you from even more good things is just supposed to be this painful, bitter, brutal process where we walk around looking like somebody that got beat up and, oh, you know, I'm just, I hear it so much too and I just want to scream. It's like, no. God's doing the pruning and He said the joy of Him is your strength. So why would He take away the one thing that gives you strength? Your joy. It's not, he's not pruning you to take away your joy. He's pruning you to take away junk so that you can have more joy in your life while you're enjoying what you already have. You're already bearing fruit. So He's pruning things that are in you that aren't supposed to be there so that you can bear more fruit. He doesn't take all the fruit away. Okay? That's not what He does. It's so that you can bear more fruit. Jesus said that a little bit later. 
So don't walk around feeling like you're being pruned by God and use that as a holy excuse for being depressed, angry, beat up, pitiful, and looking for pity. Or explaining why something's in your life that should be there that's not. I'm going to walk in here and everyone's going to know I'm upset. I know what I'll do. So, what's up, Roy? Oh, nothing. What's wrong with you? I'll just, just pray for me. I'm just, I know it's going to be good and I know he loves me, but I'm just really in a pruning season with God right now. It's just hard. It just hurts so bad. You know, and all the good Christians come along, oh, yeah. I know, man, when he prunes, but you know, it'll be good. Just hang in there. Just stop. Stop. Remember this. He intends for you to bear much fruit. The things he's taking from you are things that are keeping you from bearing fruit. Okay? He's not leaving you cut down to the ground, laying on the floor, pitiful, without any joy, without any purpose, without any love, without any excitement in your life. None of that disappeared. What disappeared was the junk. Now, if you're holding on to the junk or you found your identity, and that's what we talked about a little bit last week, but I just want to bring this up and, and just clarify this for you guys. I am not saying that it's not okay for you to, when things happen to you, to acknowledge that you feel sad that you feel sorrow that you feel these things we're not robots we don't walk through life and say yeah i know that happened but i don't care (laughs) but what i am saying is that you don't have the right i don't have the right we don't have the right if we're born again in christ to find our identity in those things and so many of us find our identity in those things so people have done us wrong and we we become a victim and pretty soon it becomes easy to become a victim because then everything that happens in my life is somebody else's fault And so when something goes wrong, I just adopt right back to that victim mentality of, well, they did this or they didn't do that and they did this and they didn't do that. And pretty soon I walk around and my identity is found in being a victim and that's how I live my life. So every bad thing that happens or everything that happens, I allow it to define me and then I go around using that as an excuse and I feel justified to live a life so far below the life that Jesus died so that I could live because of something that was done to me. And there's nothing in the Word of God that justifies that. There's nothing in the life of Christ that shows us that we can live that way. Or that He died so that you could live being a victim and go from bad situation to bad situation and your life be dependent on the good or the bad that people do to you. In this life you will have trouble, but take heart, for I've overcome the world. And we find our identity in that, and then someone comes along and tells us something like that. Like, you know what, you actually... you. We've got to be able to be honest with each other, right? Like, life's short. Why sit around and, and, and make each other feel good at the expense of truth? Right? So not that you walk around like a jerk and just say, stop, don't do that. That's stupid. But you, you, should, you should have relationship with people enough that they know you love them, that when you go to them, you don't have to qualify it by saying, now listen, you know I love you. And, and you know that I want the best for you. And, and this may sting a little, but we should have relationship with each other and we should love each other to the point that if I come to you and say that, it's a given that I love you, I care about you. It's coming from a place of love and caring about you. I just let you live the way that you've been living and not say anything to you because honestly, that's easier. So much easier than to actually go to somebody and confront something in their life to just allow them to continue to live so far below where Christ died for them to live. That's not being Christ-like because He didn't do that. So we go to people and say stuff like, Hey, you know what? The truth of the matter is, is I've, I've been around you for a while now and I've noticed there's a pattern in your life and you kind of go from one tragedy to, to tragedy or from one wrong to another wrong or you know, somebody does this to hurt you and so that causes you to be hurt and then you're just getting better and someone else does something and I've noticed that you've kind of allowed yourself to be a victim and you've found your mentality in that and anytime someone ever tells you anything, you say, well, you don't know what I've been through. You don't know what's been done to me. And you throw that out there as if no one can say anything to you because they don't understand what you've been through or unless they've been through something worse. And so what it turns into is Christian, Christian show and tell where we all start showing our scars. Right? Well, you got that one. I got this one. Well, I had this happen to me. Well, I had that happen to me. And whoever's got the most scars, the worst scars, the biggest scars at the end of the conversation has the right to say whether they could be, live that way or not. None of that stuff matters. Because none of that stuff defines you. None of that stuff is who you are. Those things that were done to you were done to you for that purpose, to get you to live that way, to get you to live below the life that Christ calls us to live. That's why they were, that was the whole point in the enemy reaching out and touching you that way, was because he wanted you to live below that level of living. 
He wanted you to become a victim. He wanted you to be hurt so you'd hurt people. He wanted you to be offended so you'd offend people. He wanted you to be ashamed so that you'd live in shame. He wanted you to feel guilt so that you'd live in guilt. He wanted all these things to happen. And when we as Christians, as born-again believers, give in to that stuff and find our identity in that stuff, we play right into His hands and then we look no different than the rest of the world. But then we walk around telling people about a Savior who brings love, joy, and peace. And then wonder why people aren't really lining up to receive what we have. So last week we talked all about that. If you weren't here last week, I encourage you, it should be up on the internet soon if it's not already, to listen to that because we went really into depth in some Greek words and, and stuff that Jesus said about being pruned. Honestly, pruning by God can be an exciting thing if we understand that he's good and he loves us and he's for us. If our picture of him as the Father is the right picture, it's the one that Jesus came and displayed. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If we understand God for who He really is and we know Him as He wants to be known and we see that He is a loving Father that wants to give good things. He said, if you being evil know how to give good gifts, how much more does your Heavenly Father? Then we can be excited about being pruned because we understand He's always in it for my best. He's always in it for my good. He's always in it to make me more like Him. And so if He's asking me to give something, it might be scary unless I understand who's asking. And I understand that He's only asking me to give up what I'm holding so that I can make room for something He's longing to give. Then it becomes a little less scary when we understand Him. But it's all in how we... Jesus said, be careful how you hear. Why? Because He understood the way we hear things, the way we perceive things, will change the way we think about them. So be careful how you hear. Be careful how you receive. Be careful how you respond. When God wants to take something out of your life and He's putting His finger on something and saying, hey, that's not for you. I want you to give that to me. I want you to give that up. Don't be afraid. Don't be scared. Understand, it's only because He has something so much better that He's making room for in your life. And that in the end, you'll look more and more like Him and you'll bear more fruit. Yeah, so if we could just... Like, let that sink in a little bit. And then when people walk around depressed because they're in a pruning season, tell them, well, then just let go of what he wants to give so that he can give you the better thing. Let go of what he's trying to take, you know? Why, why fight it? Why walk around for a year being pruned? Why not just get before him and really open up our heart like we sing about? It's one thing to sing. It's another thing to do. It stand before him, heart wide open, and say, God, here I am. Heart wide open, God. If there's things in me, search me. Find any unclean way in me. That's a great prayer to pray before God and just say, God, search me and find any unclean way that's in me. Why? Not because I think I'm sinful and dirty, but because if there's something there that I don't see, I want Him to show it to me so that it can be gone and taken from me because I don't want anything in my life that He doesn't want in my life. And because sometimes something has become so much a part of our life because we've lived with it for so long that we don't even understand that it could be gone. We've lived as a victim. We've lived hurt. We've lived ashamed. We've lived guilty. We've lived con- you know, conscious of things that we've done wrong for so long. We don't even understand or comprehend or fathom that there, we could get up and live a day without having to think about that, without having, that having to be what shapes how we feel and how we see the day. And sometimes we need the, the, the vine dresser, the master pruner to come along and say, okay, this isn't you. This isn't who you are. And takes it away. You understand all he wants to take away is stuff that's not yours to begin with. You weren't created for any of that stuff. And that's all he wants to do is prune away the stuff that isn't you to begin with. He doesn't want to take your arm. He wants to take the scars that the enemy left on your arm. He doesn't want to take your foot. He wants to take away the the stitches from the woundings, from the things that have gone wrong and the things that we've done that have hurt us in life. He doesn't want to take the good things. He wants to take away the things that keep the good things from being really good. Let him prune you. Don't be afraid of it. Don't get depressed. And don't let other people be depressed about it either. Be excited for them. I'm just being pruned. Awesome. Right? What do you mean? Awesome for you. You're not the one being pruned. No, awesome for you because God's making you more like his son. Because he's taking away something that doesn't belong to you. Because you're going to be even more fruitful. And because if the joy of the Lord is your strength, anything he's taking from you is something that's robbing joy out of your life, even though you might not think that it is. It is. It's sapping joy. It's got roots down there mixed in with the good roots. And some of the joy that's supposed to be evident in your life is being sucked up by the thing that he's pruning. So he's cutting that out so that it doesn't suck and steal any of the joy out of your life anymore. It just, it just hurts so bad. Yeah, because you don't want to let go. So just let go of it. Right? 
Truthfully, you get your fingers wrapped so tightly around that branch that he's having to nip your fingers a little bit as he's trying to cut at the branch. Let go. Let him just cut the thing out of there and be done with it. Now the part that can be really scary, right? Now, this verse used to scare me when I would read it. It says, every branch that is in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And I thought, holy smokes, if I'm not bearing fruit, I am going to be cast into outer darkness, taken away off the vine, and tossed and collected and burned. Right? Because when you read a little bit later, he says about things being burned, right? He says later, he says, if anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away as a branch and dries up, and they gather them and cast them into fire, and they're burned. And I used to think, I better be gentle, I better be kind, I better be peaceful. I will be a happy sucker. There will be joy in my life, or I'll fake it because I don't want to get taken away, cost, gathered up and burned and stuff like that. And so if we read it with that mentality, this makes us start examining our lives, right? And we start looking to see, is there fruit in my life? Is there enough fruit? How much is enough? I was gentle two weeks ago. I was patient last Monday. Is that enough or am I in danger still? You know, and then we see somebody else and they look like they're just so gentle and kind and patient and loving. And you think, well, if that's what fruit looks like, I'm doomed. And so is most of the people I know. It always makes us feel better to lump others in with us, doesn't it? It does, right? It always makes us feel a little bit better. Misery loves company, you know? Well, I know one thing. If that ain't enough fruit, I know a bunch of people who are getting tossed too. (laughs) Because I'm more patient than most people that I know. Well, than some people. Well, okay, I know a couple people I'm more patient than. Right? Relax. I don't think Jesus was meaning if you're born again but not growing as fast as somebody else or not showing the fruit as fast as somebody else that you're going to be taken away from the vine and tossed on the ground and discarded and gathered by people and burned. I don't think that's what he was meaning. Because... Right after that verse, in verse 5, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So Jesus says, any branch that abides in me that doesn't bear fruit will be taken away. A few, chapter, a few verses later, he says, if you abide in me and I in you, you will bear fruit. So which is it? How could he say, if you're abiding in any branch that's in me that doesn't bear fruit gets taken away, but then a few, chap- a few verses later say, if you abide in me and I in you, you will bear fruit. How, what, it seems like a moot warning, right? Like, right? But there's that little verse, little few words in there, yeah, that, that he added. And every time Jesus says something, and he seems like he's saying the same thing, always read it really carefully and see what's there that wasn't there the first time. The first one, he says, any branch that's in me that doesn't bear fruit, is taken away. The second time, he says, I am the vine, you're the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, he bears much fruit. The difference here is the I in them. I in him that he added to the second time. He says, you will bear fruit. In other words, there may be people who are simply abiding in Jesus, but he's not actually abiding and living in them. People who are happy to give their life to Jesus so their, their life is given to Him. Their shame, their guilt, all the horrible stuff that they've done. The fact that they know that they need a Savior, that they can't be saved without Him. They're happy to give that to Him, but they don't want to take on His life themselves. See, they want, to take on, they want Jesus to take everything from them. They want their life to be found in Him, but they're not so sure about taking Jesus and putting His life on them. And Jesus said, look, if you abide in me, but you don't bear fruit, and that word in me, I talked to Tom about this, and I love having him to talk about this kind of stuff with, because he always is keying in on covenant words, and that term there, where Jesus said, any branch that is in me, in me is a covenant term, it means they're in covenant with Jesus. Anytime Jesus said in me, or in you, he's talking about the covenant that was made. And So we were talking about that, and Tom said, listen, it, he's not saying that they're not in covenant with him, what he's saying is that though they're in covenant, they have only taken the part of the covenant where they give their stuff to him, but they haven't taken what Jesus offers for them. And so they're taken away. But notice it doesn't say that they're destroyed, that they're thrown into the fire like it does a little bit later when he says, if they don't abide in me and I don't abide in them, they're thrown. It simply says they're taken away. What does that mean? This is what I believe that it means, and I believe I have revelation from God on this. And, um, but I believe this is what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, listen, you can't live in the kingdom and enjoy the benefits of the kingdom without the king living in you. 
In other words, just because you're a citizen of the kingdom, if you leave the kingdom and you live apart from the kingdom, if you're not taking on the life of Christ, if He's not living and dwelling inside of you on a daily basis, you're not communing with Him. You're not aware of His presence inside of you. You may have given your life to Him, asked Him to forgive you of your sins. You may be born again in the sense that you're going to go to heaven when you die. You've been saved, as we would call it. But you, don't, haven't, you haven't actually taken on His life. You haven't allowed Him to come in and completely change who you are and you're not walking by the Spirit, you're still walking by the flesh. Even though you've confessed Him as Lord and Savior, you've prayed and asked Him to forgive you of your sins, but you're not actually living the life that He died that you could live. It says that you'll be taken away. Taken away from what? From the vine. What flows through the vine? The life of God. What brings blessing into our lives? It's the life of God. What brings security and safety, peace, joy, all the fruit of love into our lives? The love of God. Does that mean that you're no longer born again if you're removed from that flow and that supply? No, you still are. Think about the prodigal son. Did he ever stop being his father's son? He leaves home. He leaves behind the security, the safety, the blessing, the financial security, the food, the clothing, all those things that were part of living and dwelling in his father's household, within the domain of his father. All that stuff was his. And as long as he stayed there, like Jesus said, the father said to the oldest son, look, you, you, everything I have is yours. You've, you've always been, what did he say? You've always been with me. You've never left my domain. So as long as you've been with me, all that I have has been yours. You have access to everything. The prodigal son leaves and he leaves all that behind and he goes out and he lives in the world. Did he ever stop being the son? No, but what did he do? He left behind the source. He left behind the supply. He left the vine and decided that he was going to go out into the world and make it on his own. And what happened? The world gathered him in. And if you take a a branch off of a vine and you you put it over on the ground right there, it doesn't immediately wither up and die. It's not that the second that you cut it off, even though that second it's cut off from the supply, there's still enough of supply in that thing where it lives and looks like it's still alive for a while. And that was the prodigal son. He took enough of his father's blessing, enough of the vine, enough of the kingdom with him that when he went out into the world, he could live for a time. But after a while, that supply died and he wasn't connected to the supplier anymore. So he ran out. He ran dry and he had to go and try and find it on his own. And he ended up withered up with nothing. The beautiful thing about it is the second he decided, I'm going to go back. What happens? He gets reattached to the supply, to the source. He's going to go back and he's going to work his way back into his father's good graces and he's going to earn it and the father will have none of it. And the second he sees that his heart is turned towards him, he takes him and he draws him in and he brings him back in. And what does he say? Let's bring him back into the house. Let's throw a party. Let's give him food. Gives him clothing. Gives him blessing. Gives him a ring. He was taken away from the vine. Who took him away from the source? Could the father have sent servants to bring him stuff? He could have. At any moment, he was wealthy. He had servants. He ordered them what to do. They did what he said. He knew where the son was. It says the father saw him while he was a long way off. In other words, the father knew where the son was. He's waiting and watching for him to return. He could have at any moment dispatched servants and said, go bring him food, go bring him clothing, go bring him this. Why didn't he do that? Because he had no intention of the son living out there and being comfortable out there. He wanted the son back home within his domain. And so what did he do? takes the sun off and cuts him off from the supply and he says you can go and everything that's in that branch right now you can take with you but eventually that's going to run out and you're going to want to be reattached i'm the master vine dresser i'll reattach you don't worry all i need is for your heart to be back towards me see to live within the blessing of the kingdom the king has to live within you it's like you don't stop being a citizen, right? Just like if you were from Canada. Canada has free health care. So if you're a Canadian citizen, you can walk into a hospital, you can make an appointment, and you can get free health care. You can get free dental care. If you cross the border into the United States, you're still a Canadian citizen. You still have all the benefits of being a Canadian citizen, but you can't walk into a hospital here in the United States and say, I want to make an appointment, and I want to have this, this, and this done, and I'd like that done, and I don't have to pay for it because I'm a Canadian citizen. Sorry. That doesn't work here. No, but I'm still a citizen of Canada, and they have free health, we have free health care. 
but you're not in Canada anymore. See, you left that kingdom, and now you're in this kingdom. And while you still are a citizen, and while still all the benefits apply to you, they only apply to you while you're in that kingdom. Which is why Jesus said to the disciples when they were grabbing swords to go out into the world, he said, if you live by the sword, you'll die by the sword. In other words, you can make your decision. If you want to live the way the world does, and you want to live by the sword, just, guess, just know this. There's going to be someone who's bigger, better, faster, and stronger with a sword. And the same way that you make your living is the same way that you'll be destroyed. If you want to step outside of what I've taught you and outside of the principles of this kingdom, you can do that. But once you leave the principles of this kingdom, once you leave this kingdom, you leave behind the benefits. You leave behind the blessing when the branch is taken away from the vine. So who takes the branch off the vine? The Father does, but really, who takes the branch off the vine? We do. Who told the servants not to bring the son food, clothing, money? whatever it was that he needed. Who could have at any time done that stuff? The father, but who made the decision to leave? Who decided to cut themselves off from the flow? It was the son. And the father lets him go because he understands, I know how good it is in my kingdom. And if I remove them from that source and from that flow, they won't last out there and they'll come home. See, sometimes parents have children that are, that are living a life that's so rebellious and so wrong and so against their rules and they're breaking their rules and they're disobeying and they're doing all these things wrong. And, and I talk to these parents and because of my experience, my advice is always kick them out. Sorry, it is. My mom did it to me. It worked. It seemed like the most unloving thing that she could do at the time, but it was the most loving thing that she could do because it actually allowed me to reach the end of my decision without having all the benefits of living in my parents' home. Because right now, what, I was, what you're doing if you're allowing your child to live at home and not live underneath your rules is you're giving them all the benefits without any of the requirements of the kingdom. And God won't do that because he's a loving parent. That's why it talks about in, 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 uh, in Corinthians. He says, look, if there's someone in you that, that just keeps living that way and they keep living in rebellion and they won't repent, they won't turn, then, then take them out of the fellowship so that their soul be, uh, flesh be destroyed but their soul be saved. In other words, let them go find the end of their decision. Let them actually reach the bottom. Let them see where those decisions are getting them. Quit catching them as they're falling every single time because what happens is, is then they start to think, it doesn't matter. I can go do this. I can live this way. I can live against this. I don't have to do this. I don't have to do that. I don't have to live like anybody else in the kingdom, but I can still live like everybody else in the kingdom. I can still enjoy just like everybody else in the kingdom. And so there's no incentive to change. And so you have people who just kind of Keep living however they want without any consequence. And God loves you too much to allow us to do that. It would, it, would, it would be the worst thing possible if He kept you connected to the flow, to the life source of joy and happiness and peace and all those things while you're living a life that is completely contrary to that in word and in deed. Because if you had all those things evident in your life, then you would think to yourself, there's fruit in my life. There's nothing that needs to change. I don't need a relationship with Him the way He desires I don't have to live every day with Him abiding in me and abiding in Him. I can have my cake and eat it too. And He loves you way too much to allow you to do that. And so He takes Him away from the vine. This isn't talking about people being sent to hell. This isn't talking about people being lost and burned forever. Jesus talked about that a little bit later in John fifteen six. He says, if anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away as a branch and dries up. There's a difference between being taken away and being thrown away dried up, and burned. Jesus used two different words there. He didn't use the same words when he talked about one and the other because he said, if anyone abides in me but doesn't bear fruit, he's taken away. Taken away from the vine. Why? So that that life source, so that that joy, that peace, that love that can only be found on the vine doesn't continue to flow through our lives so that we don't, so that we can understand something's wrong. I'm not abiding anymore. He's not abiding in me. He says, if anyone doesn't abide in me and if anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away as a branch, dries up, and they gather them and they cast them in the fire and they're burned. Totally different. Jesus talked about fruit in our lives the first time in Matthew uh, verse, uh, chapter 7, verse 15. He's giving a warning. He says, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. You'll know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes nor figs from thistles, are they? So every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. 
Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire, so then you will know them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Again, he talks about being thrown into the fire. Every time he's talking about people perishing eternally, he talks about them being thrown into the fire. When he talks about the people being removed from the vine that are in him not bearing fruit, he's not, he doesn't say anything about being destroyed or being tossed into fire or any of that stuff that he always does. It's because he's not talking about your, your soul being destroyed that you're tossed into the fire. He's saying that you're removed from the flow of blessings so that your life will start to scream to you that something is wrong. So that you'll come to the end of that lifeblood that was flowing through for a couple days after you were removed from the vine and you realize I'm dry, I'm empty. I need to get plugged back into the source. And then we return back to him. And we abide in him. And he abides in us and there's that flow that takes place where the love of God flows through us and produces fruit in our lives as we abide in him and he abides in us. So Jesus is talking here, and you notice that, that the people who say, Lord, Lord, didn't we do these things? And they, 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 they said, we, we cast out demons in your name, and we prophesied in your name, and in your name we perform many miracles. And Jesus says, I, I don't know you. He doesn't say you didn't do those things. He doesn't deny that they did those things. He doesn't say, no, you didn't. You're now, you're liars. He says, I'm sorry, I don't know you. In other words, you might have done those things, but doing those things didn't make up for a lack of relationship with me. So he says, this is what Jesus was saying here, was you can never judge by works. You can only judge by fruit. Because they had good works, but they lacked the fruit in their lives. He says, you'll know them by their fruit, not by their works. Remember the disciples were walking along right after they tried to cast out the the demon out of the kid in Mark chapter 9. And and he said, Lord, Lord, we saw someone who wasn't following us and he was casting out demons in your name and we told him to stop because he wasn't following you with us. Back then there wasn't like this church scattered all over the place. The true followers of Jesus were actually following him. So they had a pretty good idea of who was actually following Jesus and who wasn't because they lived with him every single day. They spent every day with him. And so they were telling the truth. He wasn't truly following Jesus, yet he was using the authority of Jesus' name to cast out demons. And Jesus doesn't say, you can't do that. Jesus just says, let him go. Because anybody that does a good thing in my name will not be able to say bad stuff about me much longer. In other words, sooner or later, he'll, he'll see that there, there was power in my, in my name and he'll understand that, that there's something about me and then he'll come and want to follow me probably. So don't tell him to stop. Not to mention he's setting people free from demon possession. But there is people out there who were using the name of Jesus that were performing works that didn't have any fruit. They didn't have any relationship. And those people, Jesus says, are going to be thrown into in, the fire and destroyed. I know we don't like talking about that in church, but it's just the reality. And that's why he says, by, your, by their fruit, you'll know them. He says, a bad tree can't produce good fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit. In other words, even if somebody's performing works and miracles, remember Pharaoh's sorcerers? Moses turns the rod into a snake, and they say, we can do that too. And they turn a staff into snakes. Just because somebody's doing things that look great, and just because somebody's performing works, doesn't mean that they're actually born again and living in Christ and that they have a relationship with him. Otherwise, he'd said, by their works you will know them. But he didn't. He said, by their fruit. Works are evidence of the power of God. Fruit is the evidence of a life lived in him. And people can counterfeit works, but you can't fake fruit. You can't fake a life that's loving, kind, gentle, meek, gracious, You can't fake those things. Oh, you might be able to fake it for a day or two, but you won't be able to fake it for your whole life. Eventually, you'll come to the end of yourself and you'll run out and there won't be any source there and the real you will start coming out. That's why I said you'll know them by their fruit. Look at the fruit of people's lives. Look at their... the, The one place, me and Tom talk about this all the time, one way that's really easy to tell is look at the fruit of their marriage. Look what their spouse looks like because they've been sowing into that person for years and you're seeing the fruit of what's inside of them and what they've sown into that person coming out. Look at their spouse. Look at their children. Because those people have been eating the fruit that that person has been giving in their life. 
does their spouse look more like Christ? Are they happier? Are they more peaceful, more gentle, more joyful? Is there more excitement about God in their life? If so, that's probably because they've been being sown into all those things for years and years. Are they bitter, discouraged, angry, hurt? Guess what's been being sown into them? And you're seeing the fruit of it. Fruit does not lie. It doesn't. Works can be counterfeited. Works were performed by sorcerers. There was a magician, Simon, who used to impress all the people. Kings would come from all the nations, and he would do these tricks, and he would perform these things. And people said he's the power of God. Yet he didn't even have the Holy Spirit inside of him at all because when he saw the disciples, he said, what is it that you have? I'll buy it from you. But for all the world with the works that he was doing, the world declared him to be the power of God. Works mean nothing apart from fruit. Don't ever impress yourself or be impressed by somebody simply because of the works that they do. Look at the fruit of their life. That can't be faked. I will say this. I don't believe it's God's intention that the only people that can say that we cast out demons, we perform miracles, and we prophesied would be those that don't know him. I believe if there's people out there that are doing it, using the power of God that don't have relationship with him, how much more should the people who do have relationship with God be using that same power and authority and doing the same things? See, Jesus didn't say you didn't do those things. He, doesn't, he never told them you didn't do it. He didn't tell the disciples, oh, don't worry, he wasn't casting out demons. He said, no, let him do it. He doesn't say to the people that say, we did these things in your name. No, you didn't. Jesus always confronted a lie. He never allowed someone to lie to them and not confront it and tell them the truth back to them. Remember the lady at the well? I don't have a husband right now. You're, or the man I'm with right now isn't your husband, right? What did he do? In love, he confronts the lie and tells her the truth. So if these people would have said, didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we prophesy in your name? And didn't we perform many miracles in your name? If they hadn't, he would have said to them, you might have done those things or thought that you did them, but you really didn't. Or something. He would have confronted the lie. He never would have let people just lie to him because he never did. Whenever someone told a lie, he always confronted the lie lovingly with the truth. So if they didn't truthfully do those things, he would have confronted it. But he doesn't. What he does say is, I didn't know you. You did those things, but I didn't know you. And then he turns and he says, you'll know them by their fruit. And I believe that was what he was trying to say. Was Listen, don't get caught up in what people are doing for works. Always judge by the fruit. That's how you know that people know me. Anybody can do works using the power of my name, but not anybody can produce fruit unless I actually live in them. So if it's possible for people who don't live in Christ, who He's not abiding in them and they don't abide in Him, they have no relationship, they're actually going to spend eternity separated from God to do these things, how much more do you believe that God really wants for the people who actually do know Him to prophesy in His name, to cast out demons in His name, and in His name perform many miracles? I promise you He's not only given that authority to the counterfeiters. I promise. There's no way that that power is only available for people that don't know Him that are going to spend eternity separated from Him. It's not possible. Their lives should not have more power than the actual authentic believer. It's just not the proof of whether we're a believer or not. That's all that Jesus was saying. Remember He said, if you abide in Me and I abide in you, you produce much fruit apart from Me, you can do nothing. This is the last thing I want to say, and I'm just going to close up with this. But we have got, we understand apart from me, you can do nothing. You hear so many Christians constantly quote that, well, you know, I can't do anything without him. Okay, that's all well and good, and that's fine, but you're not apart from him. We need to start understanding that and start actually understanding that He said, I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you. That if any man be in Me, that He is in Me and I am in the Father and the Father's in them. We're in them. And in fact, He said, we will come and make our abode in them. I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you. There's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. We have all these promises that we're never going to be apart from God. And yet we walk around just saying, well, you know, brother, I, I just I can't do anything apart from God. Well, good. Okay, fine. We all understand that. But now understand this. You're not apart from God. So go do something. Amen. Right? Do what He's called you to do. You can still be born again and do something apart from God. I've had ideas in my life that I went and did and they had nothing to do with God's plan. That's why you have to abide in Him and have Him abide in you. Daily communion with Him so that as we walk, we're doing the things He's called us to do. Then we don't have to worry about being apart from Him and trying to do things on our own. Then we can understand that everything He's called us to do and everything we are doing will be successful and will succeed. Why? 
because you're not apart from Him. I've heard that verse so many times. Well, you know, it wasn't me because I can't do anything. Awesome, but... Well, you know, I can't do anything without Him. That's why He came and said that He's not going to leave because He's more faithful. When he, when, even when we aren't faithful, He is faithful. The Word tells us that He's faithful even when we're not. In other words, His being here doesn't depend on you being good and you doing the right thing, that He's more faithful than you have the ability to lose. Even when we're not faithful, He is faithful. You're not apart from Him. So wake up every day. What does abiding in Him mean? It's the, we're gonna, this is what we're going to talk about next week, but just a little bit of it. It's a Greek word that means to stay, abide, continue, dwell, endure, be present, remain, stand. That's what it means. The fight of the Christian faith is not to get somewhere. It's to stay where we've been placed. That's what it means to abide. We're not going on a march and going taking stuff back. It's already been taken back by God. We're now standing where we've been placed. We remain, stand, dwell, endure, continue. That's the fight of faith. How do we do that? By every day waking up and understanding, I'm a son of God, I'm born again, that He lives and dwells inside of me and I dwell inside of Him. That apart from Him, I can do nothing, but today I'm not going to live my life apart from Him. Everything that I do, I'll walk after the Spirit, not by the flesh. Because He loves me. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. And reminding ourselves every day of these things and letting the Word wash our minds every single day and remind, I am holy, I am righteous. I am blameless because I'm in Christ. And He said that. That He became sin who knew no sin, that I might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And He didn't do it in vain. I have become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus because He's taken my sin. Start your day that way and go live that way, abiding in that love. If you abide in my love and my love abides in you, then you can ask me for anything, is what he said. But it's always conditional. There was always two parts to it. Every time he talks about blessing, as you read through the Word, it's always he that's in me and I in him. It's not enough just to give Jesus our yucky parts, our messy parts, our bad parts, the parts that we're ashamed and embarrassed about and the things that we want to be redeemed and forgiven for. It's not enough just to give that to Him. He wants us to take His life on us as well. There has to be an exchange. Us in Him and Him in us. That's what that means. Don't be afraid you're going to be taken and tossed off the vine and burned. Okay? If you're being removed by Him... It's only so that you can come to the end of yourself and understand your need to be reattached to the vine. So that you'll cling to Him and run to Him. So that like the prodigal son, you'll come to your senses. What happened? The flow that was there all of his life finally ran out and he was at the end of himself living in squalor and he came to his senses and he said, I need to get back to the vine. I need to get back into that kingdom. The father grabs him brings him back and places him right back where he was and restores him to where he was. He doesn't place him back lower on the branch and say, work your way back up. He takes him and restores him right back to where he was. Because that was his whole intention for removing himself from the son, so that the son would come home and understand how good it was there in the house and want to be there. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for who you are. I thank you that, that we have your promises. God, I thank you that even in this, God, what should seem scary, that when we know you and understand the love you have for us, God, that we can read verses and say, it can't mean that because he loves me and he's good. And so it doesn't mean that. So what does it mean? And we understand, God, that even this that would scare us normally gives us confidence in you, God. To know that if I find myself in a dry place, it's only because you want me to come back to the vine. And it's not because you want me to wither and die. That if I find myself feeling a little bit weak, it's only because I've, I've removed myself from the source of strength in my life. And because you want me to feel that weakness and understand and come back to you. God, I thank you for this revelation. God, I thank you that we know who we are, that we would be secure. God, that we don't even have to worry about being taken from the vine because we live in the place Jesus called us to live where we abide in him and he abides in us, God. That we would wake up every day mindful of who we are in you, God. Of how much you love us of the price that was paid by the blood of Your Son, Jesus Christ. But we never take it for granted that we would every day wake up and appreciate and enjoy all that You've done and given for us. And we thank You for it in Jesus' name. Amen. I forgot to... Uh, I'm so used to Mark Jordan taking up the offering that I forgot all about it this morning. So we're going to take up the offering right now. 
um, I just want to encourage you guys in this, that, that, that we're not under the curse of the tithe, and we talked all about that stuff, but I would encourage you in this. The blessing of tithing is, is just as much for today as it was for back then. That, that we sow and we reap, that as we give of a cheerful heart, it's given unto us. And so I just want to challenge you guys to this. To be tithers, be people that take a percentage of your, of, your, of your finances and of your increase. I've seen it work in my life. People say, well, so if you preach that we're not under the curse of tithing, you don't believe in tithing. Oh, I believe in tithing so much because I've seen it work. I just don't believe that if I don't, God doesn't rebuke the devourer because I think he was rebuked already once and for all on the cross. But I do believe that all the blessing that was promised is still there. And in placing him first in our finances, I also believe that he gives seed to the sower, like we talked about a couple weeks ago. He gives bread for eating, but seed to the sower. In other words, everyone gets what they need, but the people who sow are the ones who have excess that can spread and give. And that if you want to have excess of something in your life, just give it away, sow it, and watch God. Every time you reach your hand in the bag, there's always seed there for the sower. Never, ever will you run dry. So I just want to challenge you guys and encourage you with that. God, we thank you for your word today. Thank you for every person here. I ask that you would continue to bless this family, God, this house. God, we pray for the people who are traveling right now on vacations, that you would just overwhelm them with your love wherever they are right now, that they would have an amazing time resting in you, God, and enjoying you while they're enjoying their families and time away and vacation, God. For people who aren't here because they're not feeling well or they're sick, God, we pray that you're healing power would just flow through them right now in jesus name that they would be healed god we lift them up to you right now and we thank you for your healing power in their life god for any person here who feels distant from you who feels cut off from you god that you would just continue to woo and draw them back in god that they would see your love even in the time of dryness God, that if you're pruning anybody in here of something, God, that they wouldn't hold on to it, that they would let go and allow you to take what you want to take from their life, God, to make room for the things you want them to have. God, that we wouldn't have hands that were scarred up from trying to hold on as the scissors come, God, that we would release our hands from it and say, take it, have it, it's yours. I thank you for that in Jesus' name, amen.